Welcome to Zichud Daf Simani Mani Rabbi Ram Goldai, and today we're Zichud Bab Metziah Daf Gimel. The first parak Shnei Mochsin. This parak has been dedicated in memory of Mr. Moishi Horn, Rabbi Moshe Manas Ben Yaakov Yitzchak, by his children Devora and Dov Elias. May his neshama have an aliyah. So the three tops are going to focus on number one. The Gemara asks that the Mishnah's ruling to divide the cloak does not accord with Rabbi Yossi's ruling, where two people deposited money with someone, one leaving one mana and the other leaving two mana, and they later dispute who left two mana. The Rabbans say the third mana is withheld until proof is brought. Rabbi says, Imken Ramai. If so, what does the deceiver lose by deceiving? Rather, it all should be set aside until Eliyahu comes to induce him to confess. Here, too, the cloak should be withheld. Although the Rabbanan agree the disputed money is withheld, the Gemara explains that it is because it definitely belongs to only one of them and cannot be divided. In our mission, it's possible they picked up the tal simultaneously and jointly own it. The Gemara answers that Rabbi Yossi only penalizes the deceiver when there definitely is a deceiver. In our Mishnah, where each party may truly believe he's the owner, Rabbi Yossi would agree to divide it. Another answer is given, but is rejected. Point number two, Rabbi taught that if one claims a mana, 100 zuz, from his fellow, which the defendant denies completely, and aid him testify that he owes 50 zuz, he pays the 50 zuz and swears on the remainder, like one who confesses to part of a claim. For the admission of his own mouth should not be greater than the testimony of Edim based on a Kavachomer. Without a Kavachomer, one could argue that the Torah only opposed a Shavua for a Motiba Mixas. As we'll see, Rabbi explains, we're not concerned a Motiba Mixas would swear falsely because he's not trying to steal, but to stall. So the Shavua deters him. But someone who fully denied his debt and was discredited by Edim perhaps should not swear. The Kavachomer teaches otherwise, which is later explained, If the admission of one's mouth, which cannot obligate him in a penalty, nevertheless obligates him in a shvua of Motiba Mixas, then Adim, who can obligate him in a penalty, is it not certain that they obligate him in a shvua through testifying to part of the claim? And point number three, Rabba asked, Why did the Torah say that one who admits to part of a claim must swear about his denial? He should be exempt for having volunteered the partial admission. He answered, It's because there's a presumption that a person is not so brazen as to deny his obligation to the face of his creditor. Tosos explains because the creditor knows he's lying. One who partially admits does so because he cannot bring himself to fully deny the debt. According to Rashi, the Gemara then explains that the reason we do not say that since he's willing to lie and steal, part of the debt, he would also swear falsely, is because this person would really want to admit to the full debt. He did not because he's merely evading the creditor to stall until he has the money to pay. Therefore, the Torah required him to swear, so he admits completely. So once again, the three points are number one. The Gemara asks that the Mishnah's ruling to divide the cloak does not accord with Rabbi Yossi's ruling, where two people deposited money with someone, one leaving one mana and the other leaving two mana, and they later dispute who left two mana. The Rabbans say the third mana is withheld until proof is brought. But Rabbi Yossi says, Imken Mahifsid Ramai. If so, what does the deceiver lose by deceiving? Rather, it all should be set aside until Eliyahu comes to induce him to confess. Here, too, the cloak should be withheld. Although the Rabbanan agree the disputed money is withheld, the Gemara explains that it is because it definitely belongs to only one of them and cannot be divided. In our mission, it's possible they picked up the towel simultaneously and jointly own it. The Gemara answers that Rabbi only penalizes the deceiver when there definitely is a deceiver. In our Mishnah, where each party may truly believe he's the owner, Rabbi would agree to divide it. Another answer is given, but is rejected. 
point number two, Rabbi Chia taught that if one claims a mana, 100 zuz, from his fellow, which the defendant denies completely, and Adim testified that he owes 50 zuz, he pays the 50 zuz and swears on the remainder, like one who confesses to part of a claim. For the admission of his own mouth should not be greater than the testimony of Adim based on a Kavachomer. Without a Kavachomer, one could argue that the Torah only opposed a Shavuah for a motive of mixus. As we'll see, Rabbi explains, we're not concerned a motive of mixus would swear falsely because he's not trying to steal, but to stall. So the Shavuah deters him. But someone who fully denied his debt and was discredited by Adim perhaps should not swear. The Kavachomer teaches otherwise, which is later explained, if the admission of one's mouth, which cannot obligate him in a penalty, nevertheless obligates him in a shvuah of motive mixas, then Adim, who can obligate him in a penalty, is it not certain that they obligate him in a shvuah through testifying to part of the claim? And point number three, Rabbah asked, Why did the Torah say that one who admits to part of a claim must swear about his denial? He should be exempt for having volunteered the partial admission. He answered, It's because there's a presumption that a person is not so brazen as to deny his obligation to the face of his creditor. Tosos explains because the creditor knows he's lying. One who partially admits does so because he cannot bring himself to fully deny the debt. According to Rashi, the Gemara then explains that the reason we do not say that since he's willing to lie and steal, part of the debt, he would also swear falsely, is because this person would really want to admit to the full debt. He did not because he's merely evading the creditor to stall until he has the money to pay. Therefore, the Torah required him to swear, so he admits completely. All right, so now we got our Simon Dov Gimel, and our standard Simon is a Gamal, a camel. A camel. So here goes. The camel hired to take away three coins until Eliyahu comes, even though only the third coin was in dispute. Stopped to pick up two Adim who testified that a man owed 50 zuz of a 100 zuz claim, making him take a shvua on the remainder, but had no room for the man who was motive but mixed us to his creditor because he wasn't brazen enough to deny his total obligation. Once again, slow motion. The camel, camel. That must mean we're on Dov Gimel, Gamal. The camel hired to take away three coins until Eliyahu comes, even though only the third coin was in dispute. Which reminds us, Gemara that the mission's ruling to divide the cloak does not accord with Rabiosa's ruling, where two people deposited money with someone, one leaving one mana and the other leaving two mana. And they later dispute who left two mana. The Rabbans say the third mana is withheld until proof is brought, but Rabiosi says, Imken mahipsid rama. If so, what does the deceiver lose by deceiving? Rather, it should all be set aside until Eliyahu comes to induce him to confess. Here too, the cloak should be withheld. The Gemara answers that in the coin cases, because the third coin definitely belongs to only one of them and cannot be divided. In our mission, it's possible they picked up the cloak simultaneously and jointly own it. Since each party may truly believe he's the owner, Rabiosi would agree to divide it. So the camel hired to take away three coins until Eliyahu comes, even though only the third coin was in dispute. Stopped to pick up two Adim who testified that a man owed 50 zuz of a hundred zuz claim, making him take a shavuah on the remainder, which reminds us, Rabbi Chia taught that if one claims a mana, which is 100 zuz, from his fellow, which the defendant denies completely, and witnesses testify that he owes 50 zuz, he pays the 50 zuz and swears on the remainder, like one who confesses to part of a claim. For the admission of his own mouth should not be greater than the testimony of Adim based on a Kavachomer. So the camel hired to take away three coins until Eliyahu comes, even though only the third coin was in dispute. Stopped to pick up two Adim who testified that a man owed 50 zuz of 100 zuz claim, making him take a shvua on the remainder. 
but it had no room for the man who was motive and mixes to his creditor because he wasn't brazen enough to deny his total obligation. Which reminds us, Rabbi asks, why did the Torah say that one who admits to a part of a claim must swear about his denial? He should be exempt for having volunteered the partial admission. He answered, It's because there's a presumption that a person is not so brazen as to deny his obligation to the face of his creditor. The more explains that the reason we do not say since he's willing to lie and steal part of the debt, he would also swear falsely, is because this person would really want to admit to the full debt he didn't because he's merely evading the creditor to stall until he has the money to pay. Therefore, the Torah required him to swear, so he admits completely. So once again, the camel hired to take away three coins until Eliel comes, even though only the third coin was in dispute, stopped to pick up two Adim who testified that a man owed 50 zuz of 100 zuz claim, making him take a shvua on the remainder, but had no room for the man who was motive but mixed us to his creditor because he wasn't brazen enough to deny his total obligation. All right, so now it's time for four blabach hazara. Daf kuf yud zayin. So the simon daf kuf yud zayin is a gabai with a lot of keys. So here goes. When the gabai with a lot of keys, gabai with a lot of keys, that must be more daf kuf yud zayin. When the gabai with a lot of keys was forced to show the idolater where the rabbi kept his money in his study, which reminds us, Rav Huna Bar Yehuda told Rava about an incident of a Jew was forced by idolaters to show them his fellow's money and he obligated him to pay. Rava told him to retract based on a brisa. If a Jew was forced by idolaters to show them his fellow's money, pater, he's exempt. But if he took the money and gave it to the idolater by hand, he is chayev. So when the gabbai with a lot of keys was forced to show the idolater where the rabbi kept his money in his study, he was shocked when he saw through the window into the base midrash, the rabbi giving shir getting challenged by a rabbi sitting in the seventh row, which reminds us, the more brings the story of Rav Kahana fleeing to Eretz Yisrael, and then sitting in Rabbi Yochanan Shir, being advised not to challenge Rabbi Yochanan for seven years, the Gemara relates what caused Rav Kahana to do so, and then a subsequent death and revival. So when the guy with a lot of keys was forced to show the idolater, where the rabbi kept his money in his study, he was shocked when he saw through the window into the base midrash the rabbi giving Shir, getting challenged by a rabbi sitting in the seventh row, as a river flooded a stolen field outside and started flooding. The room, which reminds us, the next mission states, Shatfanar, if someone stole a field and a river flooded it and destroyed it, the robber can say to the owner, Behold, what is yours is before you. Land cannot be legally stolen, so it remains in the owner's possession. Therefore, any damage to the land unrelated to the robbery is not the robber's responsibility. In a bright about the same case, Rabbi Yezer says, He is obligated to provide him with another field. So the simon daf kufyotches is kichel. So here goes. The two men in a dispute where one said the other owed him a box of kichel. Kichel? That must be on daf kufyotches. The two men in a dispute where one said the other owed him a box of kichel, and the other said he wasn't sure if he owed him, which reminds us, the Gemara discusses one who claims to be owed a money from his fellow who responds that he does not know. Rav Huna and Rav Yudah say he must pay. Bari Bashema, Bari Adif. Where the claimant is certain and the defendant is uncertain, the claimant who is certain is stronger. Rav Nachman and Rav Yochanan say he's exempt. Keep the money in its current owner's possession until proof is brought. So the two men in a dispute where one said the other owed him a box of kichel, and the other said he wasn't sure if he owed him, didn't wake up the shepherd who's dreaming of sheep jumping over a kichel, and wasn't aware of the thief returning a stolen sheep to the pen, which reminds us, the next mission teaches that if one stole a sheep from someone's flock and returned it without notifying the owner, he remains responsible if it dies or it's stolen, meaning it remains in his domain until its proper return. If the owner was unaware of the theft and its return, and counted the flock and found it complete, the thief is exempt from future damages. Four opinions are presented regarding returning stolen sheep, which impact the interpretation 
of the Mishnah. So the two men in a dispute where one said the other owed him a box of kichel, and the other said he wasn't sure if he owed him, didn't wake up the shepherd who was dreaming of sheep jumping over a kichel, and wasn't aware of the thief returning a stolen sheep to the pen, and ignored the shepherd's wife who was trying to sell them some woolen garments, telling them to conceal them, which reminds us, the mission details materials that may be purchased from women without suspicion, they were taken from their husbands without permission, and adds, but any woman who told the purchaser to conceal his purchase, it's prohibited to purchase it because it appears the item was stolen. Daf Kufiotes, so the similar Daf Kufiotes is a kite. So here goes. While the kite enthusiast, kite, that must be more Daf Kufiotes. While the kite enthusiast directed his kamikaze kites to smash into the windows of an informer's home, which reminds us, Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda argue about destroying Mama Masar, the property of an informer. One held Mutter Abdul Biyad, it is permitted to destroy his property with one's hand, direct because his money shouldn't be more stringent than his body. Since it's permitted to kill him, it stands to reason his property may certainly be destroyed. The other held Asul Abdul, it's forbidden to destroy because perhaps he'll have righteous ascendants. So, while the kite enthusiast directed his kamikaze kites to smash into the windows of an informer's home, while using his cop kite to stop a robber from stealing a small kite worth of Shavapruta, since it's like taking away... The victim's soul, which reminds us, Rabbi Yochanan said, Anyone who steals a pruta's worth from his fellow is as if he took his soul from him. So, while the kite enthusiast directed his kamikaze kites to smash into the windows of an informer's home, while using his cop kite to stop a robber from stealing a small kite worth a shavapruta, since it's like taking away the victim's soul, the craftsman he had commissioned to build him some more kites was busy at work and keeping the shavings, which reminds us. The final Mishnah lists materials left over from various crafts, such as threads removed by a launderer, a tailor, and others, and teaches which belong to the craftsman because the owner of the original material is not particular about them and which belong to the owner. Shavings removed by small tools belong to the carpenter, but those removed by a hatchet belong to the owner. It concludes, If he was working on the owner's property, even the sawdust from drilling belongs to the owner. Daf base. So the simmer daf base is a bias, a house. So here goes. Because of the conflicts in front of the tallest seller's house, house, that must be on daf base, bias. Because of the conflicts in front of the tallest seller's house, involving two men holding on to opposite sides of a tallest, each claiming, I found it, which reminds us, the opening mission states, Shnaim Ochsim Batalis, two people came before a basin holding a cloak. Zeomer Animitsasiya, Zeomer Animitsasiya. This one says, I found it, this one says, I found it. Zeomer Kulashali, Zeomer Kulashali. This one says, It's all mine, and this one says, It's all mine. The law is that each one swears, Shaingo Babachus Machesia, that he owns not less than half of it, Vichaloku, and they divide it. So, because of the conflicts in front of the Talis seller's house, involving two men holding on to opposite sides of a Talis, each claiming, I found it, and two other men claiming to be the buyer of a talus, which reminds us, the Gemara asks why the Mishnah describes two cases where each claims I found it, and where each claims it's all mine. After the first suggestion is rejected, it concludes, The first case of I found it refers to a found cloak, and the second case where they said it's all mine refers to a case of buying and selling where each claims to be the buyer. The Gemara explains that if only one case was taught, one might have thought that only in that case one might rationalize that he's not stealing outright. So, because of the conflicts in front of the Talus seller's house, involving two men holding onto opposite sides of a Talus, each claiming, I found it, and two other men claiming to be the buyer of a Talus, a basin was set up where taking a Shavua was required by the Rabbanon to divide the items to prevent people from grabbing cloaks of others and claiming 
It is theirs, which reminds us, the more that the mission which rules the cloak is divided with the Shavua does not accord with Simchas, who holds money whose ownership is uncertain is divided between them without a Shavua. The Gemara concludes that the Shavua is a special Takana de Rabbanan, so that every person should not go and seize his fellow's cloak and claim, it's mine. All right, so now it's time to conclude with our pop quiz of 10 questions. Number one, which stuff do we milk is whether Takana Sashuk was instituted, allowing one who bought stolen goods from a thief to collect compensation from the owner? That's on Duff. Kuftesvav. Good number two. Which of the one holds one swears when part of a debt is established by Adim based on a call of a homer? That's on Duff. Gimel and Bab Good number three. Which of the one why the Mishnah included both cases of two people claiming to find a lost talus and two people claiming to buy the same item? That's on Duff. Beis and Bab Good number four. Which of the one if someone shows someone else's field to agents of the king who are seeking property to seize, causing them to confiscate it, he's liable to pay? That's on Duff. Kuftazine. Good number five. Which of the one in the case of a river flooding stolen land and the question if Karka Nigzelis, if land can be stolen? That's on Duff. Kufiyad Zayin. Good number six. Which stuff do we have in the Mishnah of Shlaim Ochazim Metalis? That's on Duff. Beis and Bavmetzia. Good number seven. Which stuff do we learn stealing even just to shove a proof from someone is like taking away his neshama from him? That's on Duff. Kufiyad test. Good number eight. Which stuff do we learn if one went down to save his fellow's donkey from the river and his own donkey came up in the river on its own, can he still claim reimbursement? That's on Duff. Kuftazayin. Good number nine. Which stuff do we learn why Rebbe Yossi holds in a case of a disputed third coin that all three coins should be put away but agrees in the case of a talus yachaloku? That's on Duff. Gimel Bav Good. Number ten. Which stuff do we learn the Rabban were matakana shavua so that people should not go around grabbing cloaks off others and then claiming it's theirs? That's on Duff. Basin Bav Excellent. That concludes today's year. This is Rabbi Ram Goldhar from Zichur wishing you a great day and great learning.